Yeah, it's for tonight, you know, it's one of those things that, uh, am I, um, can you hear me? I'm not on, dude. Come on. Come on, man. All right, thank you. Hey, uh, no, tonight we, um, you know, we've obviously, as we launched Vintage, one of the things that we said we wanted to have champion uh, and be, describe who we are as the people who are in relationship with one another uh, and who are really functioning in this this model of the early church. And we recognize, I mean, we, we're not Jerusalem. We recognize that we are not a pedestrian community and culture like they were in Jerusalem. We recognize that uh, we don't have people who are driving 30 minutes to come. They, like, all live within, like, literally a walking distance. That's why we say pedestrian. So we recognize the idea of doing Acts 2.42 literally is a little bit difficult in the context of the world in which we live, but we do believe in the the, uh, the idea and the and the primary tenets of what described their their gatherings. Right, this time of of prayer and of, and of having a fellowship and community with one another. And so, we as we came into the new year, we said, we felt like God saying, "Hey, just." Just remember and, and celebrate your namesake, right? Celebrate these pieces and come together. So, so, what, so tonight we're going to do that. And I want to go ahead and give you a heads up. Like I know, you know, at Vintage, we, we love the village, right? I know a lot of you love coming on Sunday morning because it's the only time you get to be apart from your kids. You love your kids, let's be honest. But, man, it's nice to get a breather just every now and then on Sunday morning. So I've had people say, I only come to your church to and put my kids in free childcare for an hour and a half. Have and take a nap during your sermon. Fantastic. That's fine, right? May Jesus meet you there. But tonight, when we have our time, we're going to come together and kind of celebrate this, this vintage 242, this Acts 242 piece. And, and what we're going to do is we're going to have all of our kids, like kindergarten up, are going to be in here with us. Be sitting around tables. We're going to have the younger kids back here doing stuff. But I want to invite you, listen, if you normally aren't accustomed to bringing your children places, if you're just accustomed to, to dropping them off and taking a breath of fresh air when you do, I want to invite you to bring them tonight because we want them here. Because we recognize that the greatest way for them to understand what it means to love Jesus, it, yes, it's behind the four walls, behind your, in your house, but it's also watching you worship here and it's watching you take notes here and it's you encouraging them when they're when they're sitting there and, and I'm talking and saying something and, they, and they, they, I say something they don't understand. You lean in and say, do you understand what he's talking about? And you can help them, right, as you can teach them. So I'd love to watch them. I would take some time and pray. Listen, I walked in on my dad giving his life to Christ when I was six years old. I literally walked into the spare bedroom as he's on his knees against the bed with his hands like this, asking Jesus Christ to come and live in his life because he'd been living as a hellion his entire life. I watched it. Do you think that has changed who I am? If you say no, then you're an idiot. I love you, okay? No, it changed me watching my dad humble himself before God and invite Jesus to be Lord and ruler of his life. Like to watch parents pray, to watch parents worship. Parents, you know your children learn by watching what you do than by what you say, don't you? Like if you tell your children, stop smoking and stop drinking as you smoke and drink and get drunk, it's not going to go over very well. The flip side and the positive is, is they watch you pray. They watch you love Jesus. They watch you worship. Then they will follow in turn. And so that's kind of what it's going to be tonight. Let me just tell you, I really don't know what it's going to look like. I don't think it's going to be hyper-religious or anything. I think we're literally going to eat together I'm going to like share my heart for a few minutes. We're going to pray probably. I don't know what it's going to look like exactly. You know, you're praying with your table because you're sitting around tables. You may be praying out loud. I may have you running around in circles. I'm just kidding. I won't do that. But, but, I, may, but I don't know what it's going to look like. But we want, to, we want to do our best to get together and not just, listen, we're really good at eating together, aren't we? We're really good at just fellowshipping and having time together. We're really good at that. I'm going to ask that that you would come with the purpose of fellowshipping well with the expectation of praying well, right? And of, and of listening well and of sharing around your table well and doing life together well. You know, I, I don't, I, and I'm going to talk about this some tonight, but I wonder sometimes 
you know, like, have you ever thought about, like, who exactly broke up and went to houses together? Have you ever thought about that? Because it says thousands were added to their number daily. Well, who exactly, how did they decide who was going to which house? Have you thought about that? Like, what, what, what happened? Like, oh, we had 3,000 come to Christ today. Hey, let's all break up and go to houses and eat together and fellowship and study the word together. Like, what did that look like? It wasn't a church service like this. It, it looked different. It looked, it looked very natural. Like, you know how when you say to a friend, hey, you want to come over and hang out? And then you come over and you offer them something to eat and, and you kind of, it's like it's normal and natural. That's kind of what Acts 2.42 was like. It was actually sharing life and doing life and, and, and just being together and then being really intentional to actually talk to the people across from you. So, so like tonight, I'm just asking if you sit at a table tonight and they have children there and you don't normally talk to children, will you treat them like an adult? Because remember how you used to do that and wish you sit at a table and all of a sudden an adult would start speaking to you as if you were an adult and you all of a sudden came alive. And I remember going home saying, my dad said, I said, dad, I like that guy. He's like, why do you like him? I said, because he actually treats me like an adult, like I have something to say. And I was kind of saying it to my dad because he didn't treat me like that very well sometimes, right? So I was like, because he treats me well, dad. Why don't you sometimes? He's like, shut up, son. Just kidding. No, but this dynamic, right, of, of like listen and engage and embrace. I would say this. If you have children at your table, then be their uncle. Be their grandpa. Be their grandma tonight. Be their aunt. Hang out. Get to know them. Connect. If, if you're sitting next to them and something happens and you feel like you just should, hey, this is what this means. So tonight we come together, bring food, fellowship well, pray well, study well, and just have fun well together, and we'll just see where it goes, okay? So don't come with any, like, drastic expectations of what tonight's going to look like. Let's just figure it out together when we get there. Is that cool with y'all? Y'all cool with that? Are y'all cool with that? Thank you very much. All right, let's move in. All right. Um, so let's dive in. Let me just kind of tell you this morning what I woke up with. I, I just want to celebrate. I want to celebrate with you this morning. For those of you who are Christians, those of you who would say, yes, I'm a follower of Jesus. Yes, Jesus Christ comes and lives in my heart. All that kind of stuff, right? Jesus is the Lord of your life. You are, you, when you die, you're going to go to heaven. It's an eternity thing. For those of you this morning, like me, I want to say I woke up this morning with, with a celebration in my heart. And my celebration was simple. God, I Celebrate the fact this morning that sin no longer has power over me and that this power of sin and death no longer has control of me and that, God, I have ultimate power because of your spirit, because of what you've done for me today. And, God, I want to stand up today and say I'm thankful that sin has no place and no power in my life. God, thank you this morning that sin has been defeated, right? That I am walking with you. I'm free from the power of sin. And God celebrates you and celebrate that and celebrate that reality. Because I don't know if you know this or not. But Easter's coming up, right? Easter's coming up and we always celebrate it, right? We wear out pastels, we pass out some eggs, we celebrate Easter bunnies, right? It's a great time, right? And so we have this whole dynamic going down of Easter coming, But the funny thing about it is this, if you think about it, we look forward to Easter forgetting that it's already happened. You know what I'm talking about? Like, like, like Easter is an already reality. It's already happened. It's already present. The truth of what Easter is, is already active and moving in your life today. And so we come this morning Celebrating the nature of God's work in what we call redemption. Redemption. Right? We celebrate redemption. And it's one of those words, if you're, if you're honest, you probably don't use it very often, right? It's not one of those words that's naturally used in our culture. So I'm not going to the, I'm not going to the grocery store in public and say, hey, how's your day? I'm redeemed. How are you today, right? Like, I'm not going around saying those words who are like, what does that mean, right? But, but in the history of our, of the, obviously in Scripture, and even in the history of our country, the word redemption had a very, very real place in our culture. Because you see, redemption talks about slaves who are purchased and then are set free. 
How many of the one of the great black eyes of our nation is that slavery was was living and active and legal in this state and the rest of our country? I mean, it is a black eye. I mean, it's one of those deals where you have to say, have you ever heard of the sap plantation down in South Georgia? That's my family. Like my family owns slaves. And I live in this tension, God, if, if, at a point in time, right, I'm not literally to go before God and say, God, I, re, I repent, I ask forgiveness for the sake of my family, God, for, for, for this atrocity, God, of owning slaves. Because slaves, as, you've, as you know, if you've watched this, the, the Oscars this year, I think it's Oscars, is that the, the one with movies? It's Oscars movies, I don't really know. Grammys, Oscars, I don't know what they happens. Don't watch the Grammys, a bunch of idiots on the way. But the whole Oscars is going on, right? It's like the Oscars and, and, and the runaway slave, 12 years of slave, right? So you're a slave one this year. And if you've watched these movies about slavery, like, and they're forgiving, they watched the movie Amistad. Oh my gosh, you've never seen Amistad. I was talking to the, the uh, students the other day from Roar. Like, if you've never seen Amistad, go home today and rent Amistad. One of the greatest movies ever. I watched it one day, and then Titanic the next. What a stupid movie compared to, to Amistad, right? It's like this beautiful, this this picture of the, of, the, of the brutality of slavery. I mean, it's overwhelming in the first five minutes, right? Because slavery Slaves had no rights, they had no voice, they had no power, they had no authority, right? They could only do what they were told to do and nothing else. Slaves were in bondage. They had no freedom whatsoever. And redemption for them was if someone with resources came and saw them in chains purchase them and for the purpose of them giving them 100% freedom. And so when we talk about the, the Easter being about redemption, what we're talking about is, the, is this nature of slavery and of, of someone purchasing the slave and then looking at them saying, I set them free. Could you imagine? Could you imagine like in the 17, early 1800s, this, if, you, if you walked into Charlestown, Charleston, South Carolina, with unlimited resources, right? And the slave ship came in. And all of them came in. They're, they're emaciated. They don't have any food. They just look awful. They've been, they've been throwing up. They're just awful and gross and nasty. And people are coming in and cleaning them off. And you're sitting there and they bring them to the, to the blocks. And, and you go, hey, I will purchase Every single one of them right now. I don't care what people are saying. I will go more money. I will purchase every single one of them. And this guy over here is going, this is the best day ever, right? And you in front of him and in front of the slaves, you'd pay him. You take the papers. You walk over. You take their chains off. And in view of this guy, you say, here are your papers. I set you free. You are 100% and wholly free for the rest of your life. You never have to be bound to anyone again. You were free. Can you imagine? Can you imagine the confusion? Can you imagine the elation? Because they say it's only those who have held, been held in bondage and in captivity with no freedom who can actually fully understand what freedom is all about. Could you imagine? I mean, that would be awesome. Setting them free. But the understanding throughout Scripture again and again and again is that we, apart from Jesus and the work of, of Jesus in our lives, that, that we too are slaves to the law of sin and death. We are a slave to sin. We are a slave to death. In our own power, we can't set ourselves free because we have no power. We have no voice. We have no authority. We have no abilities in and of ourselves. And so in Galatians chapter 5, verse 1, Paul comes and he speaks this very clear message. He says this, It is for freedom that Christ set us free. Stand firm then. And do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Do you, do you see the, the, the meaning of Paul here? He's saying, listen, Christ has set you free. You used to be a slave. You are not now. Don't be a slave again. 
If you break down this verse in two different ways, there are two things we see. Number one, a declaration of Jesus's purpose in redemption to set us free. We see the a declaration of Jesus's purpose in redeeming us. Paul comes and he declares everything. Listen, he declares, here's the purpose of Jesus. He redeemed us. Because he wanted to set you free. He saw you, listen, he sees you getting off the ship. You look horrible. You look like death. You are in chains. You are bound. You have no freedoms. And he says, I have unlimited resources. And I am about to, I'm purchasing you. And now you are set free. And those that he sets free are 100% and wholly and completely free. The second part we see is an appeal to persevere in freedom. We see a declaration and an appeal. An appeal to persevere in our freedom. Now you recognize, anybody hear this, Paul is saying you have to persevere. And the only thing, listen, there's no perseverance if there's no oppression. There's no perseverance unless there's something pushing against you. There's no perseverance unless hardship and difficulty is presenting itself in your life. You only have to persevere when there's something coming against you. And so Paul comes and speaks these two things. A declaration of, your, of the God's purpose and redemption, and then an appeal to persevere and freedom. So Paul, in, the, in the, first, the first four chapters of Galatians, if you don't know this, Galatians chapter 5, verse 1, is the most important verse in all of the book, right? And all the whole epistle. It is, it, is the, it is the turning point. Everything in, in 1 through 4 leads to chapter 5, verse 1. Everything after 5, 1 is speaking to what he just said in chapter 5, verse 1. This is the, this is the beginning, this is the end, and this is the middle. This is what they call the pivot. The pivot moment. Uh, oh, this like that, right? This like that, like that. That's a bad grammar. Anyway, see the whole dynamic going down. This is the moment. This is the pivot. And so, chapter 1 through 4, Paul's saying lots of things, but ultimately what he's getting at, and we see in chapter 4, 3, and chapter 4, 8, is he's saying you are, you used to be slaves. It says in chapter 4, verse 3, so also when you were underage or immature, we were in slavery under the elemental spiritual forces of the world. He's talking about the law. But the idea is like we were slaves. We go in chapter, uh, in, in verse 8, formerly, when you did not know God, you were slaves to those who by nature are not gods. Paul is speaking very clearly saying, you were in bondage, you were in slavery, you were in chains. Every human being, apart from the movement of God, the action of God, the power of God, the grace of God, right? Apart from his work in our lives, his grace, we are a slave to sin and to death. Because we can't save ourselves. We can't set ourselves free. Right? We can't earn our freedom. Right? The only way that we can be set free is with the power of Jesus. In fact, let me just say this. That is like a, I mean, I think it is a primary tenet of the Christian faith. Like, you can't say that you're a Christian and not believe that. It's just a tenet. Like, I mean, I'm just saying it's like, it's one of those foundation pieces. Like, it's a, it's a bedrock. It's a foundation. Like, every, every believer, every Jesus, every disciple, every apostle, every, every disciple of the apostles, and on and on the line, every single one of them believe that. That you, we are slaves. You can't set yourself free. You can't earn your salvation. You were in chains apart from the work of God's grace, the work of God's power that you can't earn. He did the work. He comes and he sets us free, right? This is a tenet of the Christian faith. So chapter four is we were slaves. Chapter one, we've been redeemed. We've been set free. It's a beautiful, beautiful celebration, right? We have been purchased and we've been granted freedom, and we are no longer slaves. Jesus purchased you, and he set you free. I mean, this is great news. 
The problem is, is we don't celebrate it because it doesn't feel true. Like if, if we really thought that it was true, if we really lived in the reality of it, we would probably wake up every morning in some level of tears going, Jesus, today, thank you that I've been set free from the power of sin. How many of you woke up today and said, praise God, I'm free from sin. Man, sin has no hold on my life. Whom the Son sets free is free indeed. Hallelujah, right? We sit there and live in the freedom of the moment. We live in the breakthrough of God. We live in the reality of redemption. The cross isn't yet to come. Listen, I got saved 45 times in my Baptist church growing up. I've told you before, I got saved 45 times in like one year because every week somebody told me I was a sinner in need of grace. Every week somebody told me I was the worst and I was going to hell and I could die tomorrow. Just as I am. Right? The whole thing going on. Every Sunday, the same thing. Every Sunday. Well, I guess I still feel like I'm in sin. I still don't feel like I'm perfect. I still don't feel like I'm redeemed. I don't still don't feel like I'm saved. Oh, my gosh. I guess I'm still a sinner. Oh, my gosh. I've been saved 35 times. The 36th time will work. Help me, Jesus. I mean, seriously. But Jesus comes. Paul says, Paul says, it's for freedom that Christ has set us free. You no longer have to be slaves to sin. No longer have to be slaves to, to death. Some of the things I want you to understand about, about freedom. Number one, our freedom is not freedom from responsibility. Our freedom is not freedom from responsibility. So often people think about freedom, they think about vacation. Like, I love vacation, I'm not going to lie. Like I, like, I love the mountains, and I can go, get, I can go, get, I can go enjoy the mountains. But I mean, there's something about the, for me, I've come to realize, like, there's something about the ocean, right? That I think about vacation, I think about, like, just this freedom responsibility. I think of vacation at the beach with my phone and my, can, and my computer turned off. No emails, praise God. No phone calls, praise God, right? I can go swimming. I can sit and read a book. I can take a nap, right? I can go for a run, probably not. I can go play tennis. I can go play golf. I can go fish. I can do whatever I, can do whatever I want to do. Why? Because there's nothing, there's nothing there. I have no responsibilities. I can do whatever I want to do, right? It's a beautiful thing. So when I think about freedom, I always think vacation, that means for me, on a daily, I mean, a freedom from responsibility. But how many of us know it's not actual real freedom? Because I don't know about you, but, but I, it would be bad if I relinquished and let go of my responsibilities every day of my life. I'll just say this, it would have been really bad for all of us if Jesus and his ultimate freedom had relinquished his responsibilities. I have come, right, to proclaim freedom to the captives, to set the oppressed free, for the joy set before him endured the cross, right? Like, not my, he said in, in John uh, chapter, uh, John chapter 6, let me find that, uh, I don't have it right there, but anyway, this John chapter 6, this idea of, of it's not my will, but your will be done. Right? There's this beautiful piece of, of Jesus saying, God, it's, listen, I'm a, I don't have a freedom or responsibility. I ultimately came because of my responsibility. But what I have is I have the freedom to fulfill my responsibility. I have the freedom to release the power of God to those who are not saved and be Jesus to them. I have the freedom. Nothing's holding me back. I can follow him and keep in step with his spirit as Galatians 5 continues to tell us in, in verse 16. I have the freedom, right? I had the, the freedom to fulfill the responsibility that God gives me every day of my life. See, freedom is not the freedom from responsibility. It's the freedom to have the power to fulfill my responsibilities. How many of you know that you can't, it's living in the context of sin and bondage, there are lots of things that you can't do. And so Jesus set us free to the responsibilities of being a good parent. Why do you think we do faith bridge? Unfortunately, it's because a lot of parents say, I want to have freedom and have no responsibilities. Then fine, we'll take your kids for you. 
freedom to be a good husband, freedom to be a good wife, freedom to be a good friend, whatever it may be. We have the freedom to fulfill the responsibility that God's given us. The second thing, freedom does not mean that I'm able to do whatever I want to do whenever I want to do it. Freedom is not that. Because that type of freedom leads to bondage. The freedom to do whatever I want to do whenever I want to do it, it leads to bondage. How do I know this? Well, let's just kind of think about it real quick. Do you know people who, try to, who, who want to be free? No one can tell them what to do. You can't tell me what to do. It's a free country. That lame thing, right? I'll leave excuse. It's a free country. Do whatever I want to do. Really? Try killing someone and see what happens, right? And we had this response. Like we, had this, we had this thing. So people who want to do whatever they want to do, you know what we call them? Selfish brats. Honestly, that's what we call them. And let me say, what happens when a person who wants to do whatever they want to do all of a sudden comes up against someone else who wants to do whatever they want to do and they kind of in conflict with one another? And all of a sudden, you know, that, that happens. That was what, ha- what starts an argument and a fight and usually a war. That's what happens. That doesn't work. The idea of doing whatever I want to do, whenever I want to do it, doesn't work. It steals my freedom because in this, right, I find myself coming up against others. So instead, I actually now have the freedom, I have the freedom to live humble before you. I have the freedom to serve you out of choice. I have freedom to keep in step with the Spirit and do whatever He tells me to do. I've come, Jesus said, I've come down from heaven not to do my own will, but to do the will of the one who sent me. And so in this reality, right, freedom means that I have been set free to become whatever God wants me to become, to achieve whatever God wants me to achieve, and then to enjoy whatever God wants me to enjoy, and then to do whatever God wants me to do. Freedom is not the right to do what one pleases, but the power to do what one should. And so as we stand in this place of freedom, the nature of freedom, it's this beautiful place of of being free to to follow and be obedient to God, because that's the nature of redemption, y'all. Redemption's not so I can be set free from the from law. It's to be it, no. It's to be released and to follow God into whatever He has. That's redemption. Because He would say, "Is this? If you live for yourself, you will fall back into death. But as you live for Me, that's actually where you find your greatest joy, your greatest freedom, your greatest your greatest excitement, and your passion in life fulfilled." It's only in the steps of keeping in step with the Spirit and following Him that we find ultimate freedom. As I live for Him and not living for self. And so we have this beautiful joy. Romans chapter 8, verse 1 and 2, talks about the nature of freedom. It says, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit, who gives life, has set you free from the law of sin and death. So, because through Jesus Christ, right, the law of the Spirit gives life and sets me free from the law of sin and death. Romans 8.1 speaks of being free from the guilt of sin. Romans chapter 8, verse 2 speaks of being free from the power of sin. We're freed because of the work of God in redemption at the cross and the celebration of Easter that's already come and gone. That moment where we get off the ship, he breaks our chains, sets us free. In that moment, we become free from the guilt of sin. We become free from the power of sin. And the nature of the biblical freedom given to us because of the cross means that now believers do not have to perpetually, every day, struggle for their freedom, but in turn are by faith to stand firm in the freedom that we have in Christ. Basically, what I'm saying is, and you all should wrestle this a little bit, is when we give our lives to Christ, 
and He redeems us. He sets us free from the power of sin and the power of death. We can celebrate that Easter actually worked, right? And setting His children free. And then we are then called to say, now live in your freedom. But if we're completely honest... How many will say, yes, that's every day and every moment of my life? No, man, our, our unfortunate reality is that our theology of freedom is based more on our feeling than what the scriptures tell us. Our theology cannot be based on feeling. Our theology of freedom must be bound and set up and released from scripture. Those whom Jesus has set free have been fully freed. We are no longer, right? Romans chapter 8, Therefore there is now no, no condemnation of those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit, who gives life, has set you free from the law of sin and death. Which ultimately then means this, as we move forward to the second part. It's an appeal to persevere in our freedom. Let me tell you something very clearly. Let's think about this. Jesus will never put you back into bondage to sin and death. The enemy doesn't have the power to put you back in bondage to sin and death because the Holy Spirit lives inside of you and Jesus, the power of Jesus, is in you. The only one who can give themselves back over to the slavery to sin and death is us. We're the only ones. The enemy can't come and hijack Jesus. It doesn't work. So in this, there's this part where Paul comes and says, now listen, stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. I want you to think about this. Do you realize, do you realize that sin is unnatural to humanity? Sin is unnatural to humanity. The reason we know that is because it wasn't part of God's intended plan in the first two chapters of Genesis. They lived perfect because sin was unnatural. He put the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the garden and says, do not eat of this. Because they were living in utter perfection. They were living without sin. Therefore, when sin crept into and then exploded onto the scene in our world, it was against God's Law. This is a, a thief who's coming in. Why? Because we were born as humanity. Humanity in Genesis 1 was born into perfection. Therefore, it's unnatural for sin to be a part of our life. It was not God's plan for humanity. Therefore, when he over sin overtook, overtook our lives, he took, overtook it illegally. It wasn't God's plan, it wasn't God's purpose. Therefore, whatever sin takes over a person's life, it is not God's ultimate desire. It's not his plan. Sin is not to be the true master of humanity. Why do you think we use the word Lord in speaking about Jesus? We say, Lord, we pray, blah, blah, blah. Because when we say Lord, we are declaring that he is now our master. And Jesus tells us very clear, you can only serve one master. And so we should be wrestling all of a sudden, reeling from the fact of like, then why is sin so prevalent in my life? Why do I sit there and hear the voice of the enemy always knocking? Why does it feel like he's inside of my head? Why does it feel like he's so close? I'm struggling with this, right? Because I hear the voice of the enemy. It's so loud. It's knocking. It's overwhelming. He's inside of me. I'm trying to hide from it. But I'm telling you this, if you belong to Jesus, if he lives inside of your life, if you truly are redeemed, then he's never inside. Sin is always outside and it's just knocking very loudly. We have been set free. Freedom doesn't mean, hey, sin still has a right in our lives. No, freedom means I've been set free. Chains have been broken. But Paul, and I want you to hear this, Paul lives in the reality that this is really loud, doesn't he? Like, practically speaking, are any of us going to be sinless this side of heaven? No. 
We're all going to make mistakes. We're still living in a fallen world. There's going to be, there going to be moments where we choose sin. There's a difference between choosing a moment of sin and being defined as having a lifestyle every day defined by the law of sin and death. And the idea is every day, as I keep in step with this spirit, the expectation of Jesus is that as you live your life, sin will slowly and sometimes even more quickly begin to lose its power in your life. And what was so easy to fall into yesterday, tomorrow is not quite as easy to fall into. Why? Because I've grown and I've matured in my faith. And the idea of it starts here. I celebrate today that I have freedom over the law of sin and death, even though I don't feel like that's true. How many of you know that faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things that seem nowhere near to me? And so faith is the declaration theologically that Jesus has set us free. And I don't have to believe the lie anymore that sin rules me, that sin has conquered me and that it's Lord over my life. I only have one master. But we believe this lie that freedom wasn't actually given the Easter's coming tomorrow when it actually has already happened. And so I begin in this place saying, God, I'm struggling here. God, I mean, how many, I mean, what's your familiar sin? Like, what's the thing the enemy can knock the easiest and the loudest on in your heart? What in your life causes you to think that God's not good? What causes you to think that God's not strong? What causes you to think that you're not lovable? What causes you to think all of these things? All of those things are birthed by a voice that's not God. It's also birthed from a voice that's not living inside of you, but outside of you, still wanting you to come outside and bow down to it. See, we're celebrating Easter. We're celebrating redemption. We're celebrating the the work of Jesus on the cross that was overwhelming, that was powerful, that was not limited in its ability. Jesus is not limited in his ability. You know, one of those things, you think back to our... our, uh, You know, you think back to our country in in the mid-1800s, late, and kind of like they're in the 1860s. Civil war's going on, right? Civil war over slavery. And our 16th president, tall president with the top hat named Abraham Lincoln, he said, man, I'm unwilling to look look the other way regarding the dignity of human beings again. And so he, in September 22nd, 1862, he signed the the Emancipation Proclamation in which he proclaimed in that moment, slaves are emancipated. They are free. Slavery is against the law in our country, and they must be released. And in that moment, because there was no mass media, because most of the slaves in the day couldn't read, because the slaves who were free couldn't read, and because the slave owners didn't want anybody to find that out, no one ever told them. And so for three years, even though legally every slave in Georgia was 100% free as proclaimed by the government, for three years they still lived in something that was not true about them. They lived in the midst of slavery, not knowing in ignorance that they'd actually already been set free. And three years later, on on uh, on April, excuse me, excuse me, in in December 18, on December 18, 1865, Abraham Lincoln has already been killed. All of a sudden, in this moment, the release of the proclamation happens, and every state, starting north and working its way down, finds out that slaves are free. And those who've been held in chains with no voice, living in darkness, having no authority, all of a sudden can take the chains, look at their owners and the past owners and just walk off saying, I am now a free man and you can never own me again. The cross of Christ was simply the it was the it was it was the emancipation proclamation, folks, of God's work in our lives. And Paul is looking at them saying, 
Do not give in again to the yoke of slavery. Do not give in. Stand firm then. Why? Why do you stand firm? You have to persevere. Why? Because the enemy's voice is coming. The enemy's voice is going to come, right? You're going to, you're going to, you're going to stumble, right? You're going to stumble. You're going to fall sometimes, but get back up. Why? Because Romans 8, 1 tells us there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If you stumble and fall, you need to repent. Yes, you need to turn back around, but there's no condemnation for you, right? There's no guilt for you. There is no death for you. You've been set free. Are we living like that? So this morning, God's speaking, saying, I want people to believe the theology of redemption. I want them to believe and begin to express what's true that they don't even know is true. They can't even they can't even get their head around. But it already is. Redemption has come. He set us free. Those he sets free, they are free indeed. We're not free from responsibility. We're free to follow him. We're not free to do whatever we want to do, whatever we want to do it. We're free to follow him. We're free to, to, to be Jesus to a world in need. It's going to hurt. It's going to cost us something. But the greatest freedom we have is in being with Jesus and doing what he would do and following him, even when it wears us out. Hebrews chapter 12. We don't know who the writer is, but I love what he says. And I want you to hear this. I want you to put it in. Listen, don't look at the words yet. I want you to think about it in the context of the writer understanding grace. Understand that we need God's strength. We need his power. We need his ability to do the things he's called us to do. Okay, so I'm going to read Hebrews chapter 12 with the understanding that the Holy Spirit is dwelling inside of you and empowering you to live the life of freedom that he's called you to live. Okay, and it says this, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author, the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross in his freedom, right? Despising the shame and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself. Listen, so that you will not grow weary. Let me pause. He said, listen. Jesus, in his freedom, experienced, right, hostility. So think about that so that you will not grow weary and lose heart when you suffer like he did, right? You have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood and you're striving against sin. I mean, I don't know about you, but I usually kind of just gloss over this verse. Well, but that's that was that was back then. But I want you to see the intentionality and power of the Holy Spirit put forth in running the race. Run with endurance. You only need endurance when it's a long, difficult race, right? We need to fix our eyes on Jesus. Why? Because he's the only one who can author our life and who can make us perfect, right? Consider him and think about him and what he went through and his freedom when he followed Jesus. And that's simply a model of what our life is going to look like. So don't expect the perpetual vacation because that's not what it's going to look like. It's going to be overwhelming. It's going to be difficult. But I want you to recognize that you need to resist with everything you have inside of you to be a slave again. To the law of sin and death. Right. Because it's striving against you and you need to strive against sin with with all of your energies. Let me tell you what happens. Let me tell you what happens. Let me tell you what the, let me go ahead and give you a little prophetic word. Don't you like that? So you're like, oh my gosh, what's he going to say? Let me tell you what the end times is going to look like. Do you want to know? Let me tell you what it's going to look like. Part of our church is going to say it's too hard to be a Christian in this age. and We're going to turn away. Because they haven't actually built the foundation of running their race when it's difficult because they expect the perpetual vacation. They expect God's role. The God's role in their life is to make them happy because God wants us to be happy. God wants us to have fun. God wants us to play around and goof off. And there's going to be a people in the church as the end times come, as the before Jesus comes back and all of this is going to get really difficult. It's going to be really, really hard. People will be opposed to Christianity, opposed, opposed to you, even in the United States of America, probably. And in that moment, it's those who have, who have embraced the reality of no control from the power of sin and death. 
I'm not controlled by the desire of wanting what I want when I want it. I only want what the Father wants to set my gaze upon Him. And setting my gaze upon Him and going after Him, I know that everything else is rubbish. Everything else is garbage. Nothing else matters. I don't need to have a, a fun vacation to enjoy my life. I can enjoy my life in utter disarray because of the presence of the joy of the Holy Spirit. And what He's done in my life And if we're going to be a church who stands strong, we are Hebrews 12 with our eyes fixed upon Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. We are striving. Think about what he's done for us. I'm striving against sin to the point of shedding blood. I'm telling you. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For we've been set free by the law of the spirit of life from the law of sin and death. Sin does not have control over you. Why? Because the Holy Spirit came in and will not share control. But we give ourselves over in parts of our life. And honestly, what happens sometimes is we give up, don't we? Because sin just is so strong. Like, well, I just got, oh, it's so hard. I just got to do that. Easter is not about pastels, Easter bunnies, and Easter baskets. That's all fun and that's all great. Easter is about Jesus standing before a slave ship of your life and watching you in chains and who with unlimited resources. He didn't just set you free. He came and took your place. And he said, now I'm trading my life I mean, get, get this. I'm trading my life for your life. And now you have my freedom. And I'm giving you my life to live. And you live here now. I'm not leaving you empty. I'm giving you my spirit who will empower you, who will be with you. And our theology then is the as a good Bible-centered people, we call it bibliocentric, Bible-centered people, we are, I'm saying we are demanded at Vintage to have a right theology on the power of redemption, the work of Jesus, the freedom that he's given us, and no longer allowing ourselves to be bound by the life that we used to live yesterday and then not giving in to the one who's knocking on our door today. But I want to tell you good news that if you do give in to the voice, you can say, you can repent, you say, God, I am sorry. You close the door back and he is still Lord of your life and there's no condemnation for you. You're not bound by guilt and freedom still defines your life. The question you have to ask ourselves this morning is do you actually believe that? I can't make you. I can't make you. But do you believe the truth of Scripture? Do you believe the redemption? Do you believe the nature of, his, of the cross of, and His resurrection? Have you come to grips with, yes, there's sin, but sin's not Lord of my life. And yes, I'm still, I'm growing and I'm maturing. That's what, look, I'm, I'm growing, I'm maturing day after day. And as I grow and mature, sin begins to lose its power in my life. So I find myself one day saying, wow, I'm not struggling with that anymore. I'm not even tempted by that anymore. That should be the testimony of your life. Does it mean the temptation will always go away? No, there's always, we're, we're, we live in a fallen world. The voice is always coming. But we're going to have power. Invite the ministry teams to come forward. Listen, I'm like every single one of you. I, I have, there have been sin that have defined struggles in my spiritual walk my entire life. Like there are things that I've had to wrestle with. I've had what I always call the familiar doors. The first door the enemy always went to when he wanted to tempt me to the point where I may stumble and give in. I'm like every single one, every single one of us, well, we, know that we have those familiar doors. It's the first door the enemy always goes to. What's yours? Is it, is it, is it worry? Is it fear? Is it anger, like unrighteous anger? 
Is it selfishness? What is it? Is it lust? Whatever it is for you. And so, we, unfortunately, we give, too, we give too much credence to that. And we live in slavery when He's already set us free. And this morning, I want you to... I mean, I pray this morning. I just said, God, I know there are people this morning who the enemy has literally done this. They're literally walking with blinders and will not be able to hear the message this morning because they won't believe in the goodness of God's power to set them free because they're too based on feelings rather than theology of what Scripture says. That Easter's already happened. Redemption is what He's brought. So without any anger in that, we pray and say, God, out of your grace, out of your mercy, out of your love for them. We pray breakthrough. We pray revelation. We pray for the revealing, the spiritual awakening. Isn't that the nature of all salvation? That Christ, that of his great love for us, he woos us. He woos us to himself, saying, open your eyes. Behold, I stand at the door and I knock. Won't you let me in? Won't you let my truth in? He just stands and says, and he doesn't just sit back and go, well, I guess they're going to beat up today. No, he's fighting for us. This morning, there are two people, three people. There are those who are like, yeah, I get this. This is great. That defines my life. There are those who are Christians who are struggling with this. Like, I, I want to step into the truth of redemption. I know my life's going to be hard. I know sin's still going to be tempting me. I know that. But I want to keep my eyes set on the gaze of Jesus. I want to embrace this no condemnation. I want to embrace the spirit of life. And then there are those this morning who, have, who actually are still in bondage. You've never given your life to Jesus. You're going to die and live separated from God in eternity in hell for the rest of your life. You're going to be held in chains and you're going to hop back on the ship and be taken away. That's someone this morning. And I want you to know, Easter's not coming for you. It's already happened and Easter is wooing you this morning. You respond to the Lord leads. We have our offering baskets here. You give us the Lord leads. We have ministry teams. If you're struggling, listen. When we talk about sin, people go mm, like this because they don't want people to know that they're weak and struggling. Let me just go ahead and tell you, we're all struggling. We're all having to endure. It's difficult for all of us. If you stand up and come forward to get prayer, there's going to release someone else who's afraid to be honest. But this morning, we want to respond to the truth about what God speaks about us. Okay? Ministry is available. If they're, if they're taken, other teams will come forward. Okay? So you'll have people to pray with you. And we're looking to come to the altar. You can come and you want to give your offering. Listen, you want to come and give an offering of yourself to the Lord this morning. Just come and put your whole body over the offering basket. I mean, seriously. Don't say they're too long. That would be kind of awkward. But stay there long enough to really make the offering before the Lord and then kneel down before Him and say, I, I'm struggling with my belief. Help my unbelief. And you respond to the Lord leads this morning. Okay? Love you guys.